spirit within me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What is the point of lavishing perfume worth a year's salary on the feet of a former carpenter and itinerant preacher on the feet of a man only a week away from death? What is the point? Why this senseless act of love and beauty? What is the point of poetry during war? Music in time of death, acts of kindness in a world roiling with anger, aflame with hatred, terrified by terror. On August 9th, 1942, Dmitry Shostakovich's Seventh Symphony was performed in Leningrad. The Philharmonia Hall was filled to overflowing. The crowd was dressed in its finest and after the finale, thunderous applause. But this was no ordinary concert and I was glad to learn about it from a clergy friend and then to read more in Leningrad, Siege and Symphony by Brian Moynihan. You see, just a year before this concert, Russia, which thought it was safe from the Germans because of a non-aggression pact, had been invaded by the Nazis. And soon the Germans besieged Leningrad, leading Shostakovich to begin writing this great symphony the symphony that is laced with themes of a dark and menacing presence. During the fall of and winter, Leningrad was devastated by the siege. Starvation set in with adult rations limited to one slice of bread per day. And with the disruption of all utilities, water and food supplies, temperatures of 30 degrees below, 100,000 people were dying each month. The people of Leningrad ate every cat, dog, and rat in the city. Old leather belts and handbags were being sold for food, boiled as siege meat in a soup. Death invaded the city, mass graves were dug, and even so, after the winter when spring thaw came, there were corpses strewn about the city. During all of that, Shostakovich, having been evacuated, was finishing his symphony, and he dedicated it to the people of Leningrad. The symphony was performed in London and New York, but it was determined that it must be performed in Leningrad. Shostakovich's beloved home, devastated and still under threat. So the score was smuggled across German lines, but there was no orchestra left to play it. The Leningrad Philharmonia had been evacuated along with its conductor. All that was left was a radio orchestra, and its hundred members had been reduced to 15 
by starvation and shelling. But the conductor, Carl Eliseberg, was determined. Though at first daunted by a colossal work, its score is 250 pages, the orchestral parts run to 2,500 pages, it's an hour and 20 long. It demands 105 musicians. But Elias Berg began scouring the front for musicians. He took remnants of regimental bands. He had a trumpet player from a jazz band who had no classical experience. He took musicians from dance bands, all of whom would have to return to the front if the sirens sounded. And even once the musicians had been assembled, there was little hope of being able to perform this symphony. All had been traumatized by the siege and all were near starvation. The woodwind and brass sections barely had the lung power left to perform. They were so weakened that they fainted during rehearsals and some members of the orchestra died. They could never summon the physical strength to practice the entire symphony from beginning to end. Once summer came, the orchestra moved to the hall to practice even as Hitler made clear that he was tired of the siege and he wanted Leningrad destroyed to be utterly removed from the face of the earth, which he planned to celebrate on August 9th with a victory dinner at the Astoria Hotel in Leningrad. The Germans continued to attack. They were defeating the Russian army in shocking ways. They took 20,000 Russian soldiers prisoner. Wherever people congregated in the city, the Germans struck. It seemed madness to be rehearsing for a concert. It seemed Insane to plan to gather hundreds of people together in a concert hall. But Leningrad persevered. Three days before the concert, the orchestra finally played through the entire symphony during a dress rehearsal. And on the day of the concert, a kind of miracle happened. The Russian army regrouped and it laid down fire on the Germans who had to hide in their bunkers so that no German shells hit the city during the concert. And then, hundreds of starving people dressed themselves up in what was left of their finest clothes. And the conductor put on his tails, though they all looked like scarecrows in clothes that no longer fit skeletal frames. And then the orchestra began to play. The music conjured terrors of a relentless attacking enemy, defiant resistance, grief, and then the last movement as the triumphant bases prophesy what Shostakovich describes as the victory of light over darkness, of humanity over barbarism. Thousands listened on the radio and the concert was broadcast throughout the city as well as to the German forces on the edge of the city. At the end of the final movement, silence. And then one person 
and then hundreds of people and thunderous applause and tears of joy. The siege would continue for another two years and it would claim the lives of close to a million civilians. But after the war, captured German officers admitted that it was when they heard the Leningrad as the Seventh Symphony became known, it was then that they knew that they would never defeat the city. Starving musicians pouring themselves out. Besieged armies risking all to make space for a symphony. Terrified, grieving, starving citizens dressing up. Risking their very lives for the sake of a concert. What is the point of that? Why this senseless act of love and beauty? Why perform any act of beauty, of art, or love, when there are bills to be paid, the poor to be fed, work to be done, and schedules to be met? Why? Why would Mary break open a jar of perfume worth so much just to anoint Jesus' feet? She could have sold the perfume. She could have given that money to the poor, as Judas suggests. But Mary has been listening to Jesus. She watched him defy death as he raised her brother Lazarus from the tomb. She believes Jesus is the Messiah. She, unlike the other disciples, believed him when he foretold the necessity of his death. And so in the face of the impending death of one she loves, even if it's a death that she doesn't understand, Mary offers a senseless act of beauty and love. She anoints the anointed one for death. She prepares him for the stench of the tomb with the sweet smell of perfume, offering her love and companionship as he faces the lonely walk to the cross. We can only imagine how confusing, how senseless and extravagant, sensual and vulnerable this act must have seemed, not just to Judas, but to all the disciples. In kneeling at his feet, anointing them and wiping them with her hair, Mary is already following the new commandment that Jesus will give in six days' time at the Last Supper when he washes disciples' feet, tells them to love one another as he loves them. But what is the point of it? What is the point of it? What is the point of this senseless act of love and beauty? Why offer a symphony to a starving city? The symphony doesn't pay the soldiers. 
It doesn't feed the starving. It doesn't beat back the Germans. Why read novels or poetry when we could be learning a more productive skill? Why create beautiful art and music when there's so much ugliness, poverty and violence, war and ignorance, so many things that need a remedy? Why have beautiful new babies when we are facing environmental disaster? Why did a cellist play public concerts in bombed out buildings in Sarajevo, Sarajevo during that terrible war? Why did one lone Chinese student stand before a tank in Tiananmen Square? Why sing to the dying in hospice? Why? Because we need to remember we need to remember our worth, our dignity of what we live for. Mary could not stop Jesus' death. She could not protect him, but she could be with him. She could make clear his worth, could show love with a pound of perfume, could hold out hope even in the face of fear and death. All, all of these senseless acts of love and beauty point to the most beautiful and outrageous and generous act of all. One that must have seemed utterly pointless in the face of Roman oppression and human sin and betrayal and rejection. The lavish love of God spread out on the cross. That seemingly senseless act of love and beauty, never useless, made in the face of fear and death and sin, redeeming it all for we, besieged and starving ones. We who are starving for hope, hungry for love, for our besieged and starving world, an act of lavish love extraordinary generosity, an act that we still cannot make sense of, but that is the victory of light over darkness, beauty over ugliness, joy over despair, life over death. A gift of love and beauty lavished on us.